Well, good morning. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. Ask you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. We'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 12. Really thankful for our choir leading us in worship. Did a terrific job last week, right? Still been living off that all week. And then uh, thankful for this morning. We're going to continue today uh, looking at Matthew's gospel and seeing how he portrays this coming of the Christ. Today has been a good day so far. I feel like the sermons have been decent. And so, um, but this morning there's a little extra pressure because my mother and father are here this morning. Look at there. Look at there. So, yeah, um, dad, of course, pastors, mom helps out there at the church. So this is the first Sunday they've been free to come since I've been here in two years. So there's a lot of pressure on me right now to, uh, to, to deliver this. So the first two were warming up, but we're going to continue now in Matthew's gospel, chapter two, verses one through 12. If you notice, I'm standing here on a temporary stage. I want to remind you of this evening as our children will be leading us in worship at six o'clock. Come out and join us. If you have a kid, you are obligated to be here. You got to come watch them. If you have a grandkid, you are also under obligation to be here. If you do not have either, please come. I promise you, you'll be truly blessed to our, uh, with our time tonight at six o'clock. Always gets us in the Christmas spirit. Wear, you're supposed to wear your ugliest Christmas sweater, but don't, don't be too ugly, right? Okay, just, just come on, be here, good. Thankful for God's word, I wanna look to Matthew chapter two. It'll be good for us to go ahead and read here in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter two, verses one through 12. Story of the birth of Christ continues. As Matthew writes, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and may your word be uh, rich for us this morning as we look to it. Help it to guide us and to mold us as this announcement of this king who has come, Father, is is received in our passage from these wise men. May it be received in us today as we seek to worship you and adore you. Father, thank you for Christ 
the gift that you have given us in him. May we find the peace today that only he can give. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now more than any other story in scripture, the characters of Christmas are some of the most well-known, I'm sure. Every one of us in this room have a manger scene or nativity set at our home. Some of you probably have four or five, right? And in reality, you probably have some for the kids and some that the kids can't touch. And you have all of these in between. And so these manger scenes are set up to remind us of what Christmas is all about. And all of us surely have seen a Christmas performance where that, those characters have gathered around that manger to be there. And so what I remember from last week, two weeks ago really, as I preached in Matthew's gospel, we we remember that character that was Joseph, one who didn't have any lines but played a vital part and role in receiving Mary, his wife, even though she was with child and they had not been together. And Joseph, hearing in that vision of this one Jesus who has come, who was Emmanuel, did and obeyed as God had told him to. And as we think about these characters in that nativity scene, what we must remember, of course, as we come to the Gospels, to Matthew's Gospel, the main character of this time, of this nativity scene, if you will, is Jesus himself. And what Matthew is doing here is he's introducing this one. He's introducing the one who has come. That's what he does in our previous passage when it tells us about Joseph and how the angel came in a dream and the angel said, this one shall be called Jesus, which means God saves because he will save his people from their sin. This child that is to be born is the savior. But not only that, he shall be called Emmanuel because he is God with us. He is the hopes and dreams that all of us long for and desire found right there in this one Christ Jesus who is God with us. Matthew is introducing, if you will, this one who has come. And what we have in our passage is a continuation of that introduction. At the beginning of chapter 2, he says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Here he gives no specific time frame, only saying that it was when Herod was king. In fact, he notes that Herod was the king. No specific time frame, but during the reign of Herod, these wise men come. They show up to town, and they show up to town with an interesting inquiry. They come into Jerusalem. Just imagine, if you will, these foreigners traveling by far, coming with this envoy, stepping up into town and says, where is the king who's been born? Where is he? And nobody in the town has any idea necessarily what they are talking about. They don't know what's going on. Where is this king who has been born? Wise men showed up making this inquiry and surely, surely it will cause some trouble. So first, as we look to this passage, I think it's important that we understand who these wise men are and what may have caused them to come. And in doing that, we'll see from the Old Testament especially who this child is. These wise men, I don't want to be the guy really, to be honest, that spoils the nativity for you. You don't have to give away your nativity scenes or change them. But what I do want you to understand is these were not kings that have come from afar. These were magi, if you will. 
The translation for that literally means those who were wise. We have seen these before. These are not new figures, if you will, although uh, uh, we see many generations later, but these wise men we have seen, for example, in the time of Daniel. Daniel himself was considered amongst those wise men. It would be the ones that the king would call and say, I'm having these dreams. I need some help with these things. I'm having something that's going on. Help me interpret what's happening, what's going on. They would help the king and the leaders under understand what's happening in their dreams or in their understanding around them. As one, as one study Bible puts it, these wise men were those who have wisdom through investigation and interpretation of the movements of the heavenly beings, the ancient texts, and other things that they can find research in. And the Bible tells us that they have come from the east. When we read that book of Daniel, maybe we can see how those wise men helped the king in understanding his dreams. Daniel himself helped the king in understanding his dreams. While those wise men looked to the stars or to the heavens or other places, Daniel looked to God and God brought them truth. Maybe these wise men came from that same group of having heard those stories of Daniel who, who was so strong and sure of the coming of the Christ. Having heard those stories, maybe they came from that same area in Babylon as Daniel was exiled. But I believe, I believe the evidence from the scriptures itself makes us think that maybe they came from farther east even. Now listen, I want to be clear here as we continue. Before we start talking about stars and looking at stars, the, and, and if any of y'all still get the paper, you need to know this. The Bible does not condone astrology in any way. Don't look to your horoscope for help, right? Jeremiah tells us. Jeremiah tells us that it's those godless nations that look to the heavenly beings to find their strength and their understanding. It's those godless nations to look to those. But what we do know in our passage is that God, the king of the universe, can use any part of creation at any time to bring about his will and to proclaim the coming of his savior. And so here, that's what we see. This star has risen and the Magi, these wise men come and say, where is this king? Because we saw his star. Now, how would they identify those two together, the king and the star? I believe it comes from an interesting passage in scripture. Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24 is the, the people of God have been walking and wandering in the wilderness for some time. It's getting close to the end. Time for them to enter into the promised land. And as they leave the wilderness to march to Israel, to that promised land, they have to pass through the territories of other kings. And as they do, those other kings get angry as this band of people, this large group of people, not a trained army, but a large group of people come into their land thinking they may be invading. And so God says, you march through, I'll fight for you. And so what we find in Numbers is that every time the enemy came against Israel, God fought for them and they won. And so here you have a king now seeing how Israel's defeated all the kings around him, his name being Balak. And Balak is saying, I don't know what to do with this. My army's not sufficient because they keep winning. And so Balak does only what he thinks he can do. And he finds the best, the best diviner or wise man he can possibly find. And he goes deep into the east to find him. And his name was Balaam. And he said, Balaam, I need you. My army's not big enough, but I need you to curse these people. I need you to put a curse on them so that they cannot defeat me. And they negotiate a price. Balaam works out a deal. He gets a contract that he sees fit as he gets the money brought in. He's got this deal. And so Balaam finally agrees when the money's right, he's going to head and he's going to curse the people of God. 
And as he's headed that way, he's riding his donkey, right? And he's riding his donkey to go, and soon his donkey stops in a little narrow passageway. And the donkey stops, and Balaam just starts beating his donkey. And if y'all remember this story, the donkey turns around and says what? Why you keep hitting me, Balaam? I'm not the one. And before him at that point, Balaam sees before that donkey what the donkey has already seen, the image of God standing there speaking to him. Now, before you go on and say, Josh, are you telling me a donkey spoke? I'm telling you, yes. Just like God can put a star in the sky, he can speak to a donkey. Amen? And I don't believe in a God who can't. And so ultimately, we see how God speaks even through this donkey. And he says, God says to Balaam, you're not going to curse my people. You're going to bless them. You think you're going to curse them, but you are going to bless them. And Balaam continues on, and he blesses the people of God. He does not curse them. And three times he does this. And there, Balak is mad. He's angry. He's paid all this money to curse them. And Balaam is not cursing them, but blessing them. Balak gets mad at him and says to, to, to Balaam, I, I, I'm going to have to take this out on you. And Balaam says, I got one more thing for you. You need to know that not only are these people going to get to the promised land, whether you like it or not, you need to know there's one coming from them. Not now, but there's one coming who will rule all. And there Balaam in his final oracle in Numbers 24 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And here in this passage, those two things go together. The star will come up, which will testify that the scepter, the, the power of the king will rise at the same time. When that star appears, the king will show himself. And so maybe these wise men from the east have heard that, that message of Balaam. Surely they'd heard it passed down from generation to generation about old Balaam that came back talking about a talking donkey. Surely they heard about what he said or what he may have said. Surely they had passed this down. Or, or maybe they knew where to go to look at the books of Moses to find out exactly what is meant. But here I believe these wise men come in this tradition of the promise of Balaam. How this star will rise up and the king will come. Now understand, the theme of Matthew's gospel is the coming of the kingdom of God. And it's no surprise that this, this presentation that Matthew lays out for us, being born of David, the king, it's no surprise that he would lay out this one, this child who has come as this king who is responding, who's responding to the call of God to come. And as these men see this star, they knew something was special. Maybe they had heard that famous story of Balaam, Maybe they searched the text of Moses, but whatever the case may be, the Lord God had sent a star on behalf of all the stars, as one commentator says, as if it were the envoy of the worlds to represent them before the king to conduct these wise men to Christ's very presence himself. And so ultimately, this rising of the star is the proclamation and announcement of the king, and these wise men are coming for him. Think of it, this envoy from the east you need to know again you don't have to throw away your nativity sets more than likely it was more than just three of them we only get word of the three gifts that were given and my point in saying that is that more than likely it was a large crowd of them who came who traveled together an envoy to come and to worship and they just show up in the town and they say where is he who's been born king we saw his star we saw his star 
Of course, this upset king, Herod. Twice he's mentioned to this as Herod the king. You know, he's coming into your territory. He's the king. And you're telling there's another king born. So Herod gathers up his wise men, if you will, the scribes and the chief priests. And he says, have y'all heard about this? Herod, not familiar with the text, obviously himself. He says, I need some help here. Have y'all heard what's going on? And there his chief priests and his scribes come together and they quote a prophet, the prophet Micah together. And they said, yeah, if the Christ is going to be born, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Micah tells us this, the prophet. And so now you have that magi coming. They've seen the star. The king has been born. And as Herod looks for the answers, his people say, it's in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's the town that the king would be born. In order for us to truly understand this, I believe we need to understand Micah the prophet himself. Because this goes with this announcement, if you will. Micah was a prophet to Judah and to Benjamin. The 10 tribes to the north had already turned away and already been in exile to Babylon. The two in the south, Judah and Benjamin, had remained faithful, but not now. They become unfaithful. They turned away from God. They're not following after him. And Micah says, your problem is your leadership. Your kings are your problem. Your leaders are your problem. Micah pronounces judgment on the people for following terrible leaders because their leaders are ones. Listen to the language that, that Micah says. Their leaders are the ones who hate the good and love the evil in chapter 3 of Micah. Who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. Who eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces. Chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Isn't that nasty? That's what he says. That's your, that's your leadership. Those are the ones who lead you. They are not leading you. They hate what is good and love what is evil. And they are devouring you and eating your very flesh themselves. It's your leadership that is your problem. And the judgment is coming because you are following after those leaders. Here, they're not faithful. They hate good. They love evil. They devour their people. You're following after them. So God says, I will judge you. And... I will send another leader to you. I'm going to send another king your way, God says in Micah chapter 5. And this king who will come to you will be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. He'll be in that line. He, uh, Bethlehem, even though it's small, from you shall come from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, who's coming forth from old, ancient of days. And as these, why, these scribes and chief priests kind of give this passage, they combine two, chapter 5, verse 2, and chapter 5, verse 4. And they said, this king who is coming, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. In other words, this king who is coming will not be a king who hates what is good and loves what is evil. This king who is coming will not be a king who devours his people and leads them astray even to their death. And he is the cause of it. This king who is coming will not be one who is unfaithful to God. The king who is coming is one who will reign in the name of the Lord and he will shepherd his people. He will protect them, not kill them. 
He will provide for them. He will be present with them as a good shepherd is. And this shepherd will ultimately do what all good shepherds do, lay down his life for his sheep. That's this one. Understand what Matthew's doing is not just the the announcement of a king, but what type of king is this? As opposed to the rulers of this world, this king is the good and faithful shepherd. That's who's coming. And in this way, the announcement for Matthew is given. These wise men from the east east bring the news. He is the one. This one who's been born, we saw his star, Numbers 24. This one who's been born is the shepherd who will come, Micah chapter 5. This king will be the shepherd king. And then in the first chapter, now in the second chapter, we see it. This one who is coming, this baby who's born is Jesus, Savior. The one who will save his people from their sins. He's Emmanuel, the presence of God with us. He's the king who rules and reigns in God's place for all time, forever. And he's the shepherd who protects, provides gives life to his people. That's who he is. In this way, that's exactly what we celebrate. You know, we can think about our schedule of preaching, if you will. And we've, we've been walking through the book of Acts and kind of gone there, and we're going to come back to that next year to continue. We could have kept going right on through this season, but wouldn't that be odd? As our building is decorated for Christmas as we sing our Christmas songs. This time, I love preaching. Why? Because what we are reminded of right now is who is this Jesus that has come for us? We're reminded of the one as a a declaration, if you will, that the Christ who has come for us is Savior. He's King. He's our shepherd. That's who's come. And that's exactly what Matthew's doing here. Matthew wants to make it clear that this is who this baby is. This is who he is. So what do we see in our text then? If that's the case, if Jesus is being announced here as the the Savior, the, the Emmanuel, God with us, the King, the Shepherd, then we have to look at the responses to him. And our passage in chapter two is full of responses. Let's just look at some of those first. First, you find the response of Herod. Herod responds in anger. In our passage, there's two kings here. You have this king who's been born, the star gave way to him, and you have Herod the king. And so obviously you can't have two kings in the same place, right? And for Herod, Herod, he recognizes there's no children been born in his family. In fact, not only is there no children been born in his family, though Herod was, was powerful, though Herod was in many ways smart, though he had led through many different things. In fact, at this time, it's about 30 years into his reign in Israel. Herod was one who was always uptight and scared about threats to his power. In fact, Herod, wanting no threat to his power and his position, had already murdered his wife. He'd already killed three of his sons, thinking they may want his throne. Herod was cutthroat when it came to his place. And so when Herod heard there may be another king that is there, he needs to know who that king is. And in this way, Herod responds in anger. And what we'll see over the next few weeks is that Herod, it shouldn't be any surprise to us, having killed his three sons, his wife, and everybody else that may threaten him, he will try to kill every baby in Israel. Jerusalem. Herod, one who responds in anger. Herod is an enemy of God. Not only is he against God's reign, he is against God himself. 
As one commentator says, he is an agent of Satan because the very thing Satan wants is to destroy God and to kill his son. That's what he's after. And here's what Herod is after as well. Herod hates the truth. In fact, if you remember those passages from Micah, it's Herod that is being described even in those passages. He's one who hates the truth. He's one who loves what is evil. He's one who is unfaithful to God, not caring about what God may say or what God may do. And he's one who seeks to devour his own people. Herod responds in anger, wanting to kill this baby who is born. Even he lies here as he seeks to ascertain from the wise men when and where I want to worship him too. The evil that we see in Herod's lies only depicts the evil we see in the lies of Satan himself. And so as we come to this, I'm pretty confident as we look to this passage that there's nobody in here responding to the news of Christ Jesus just like Herod, right? Hopefully not. I mean, maybe you, maybe you snuck in. Maybe you don't even know why you're here. Maybe you truly hate the truth of God and you won't have to follow after him and, and you want to end it. So maybe that's the case. But, but I pray there's nobody here that's like Herod. But it seemingly looks like our world is led by leaders that are like Herod, doesn't it? Doesn't it seemingly look like our world is out there being led by people who hate the truth, who hate what is real and hate what is true? They trade what is true for a lie. They're unfaithful to God and they don't care about it. They're pursuing after themselves, looking to devour whoever may come in their way. Oftentimes we see this in leadership. We see it here. But not only that, we see another response, if you will. As Herod responds in anger, the people of Jerusalem respond with anxiousness or anxiety. It says here, Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. In this Simple phrase, it reminds us of why it is we need a good leader. Whether we like it or not, all of us are following somebody. All of us are looking to someone for our truth, for our light, for, for to lead us and to guide us. We're all looking to somebody. We're all looking to somebody to lead us, whether we know it or not. We are all doing that. And like Micah in the prophet's time, those people that were seeking to lead God's people were devouring them and destroying them. And what that created was the anxiety of a nation. As the leadership was leading them astray, there was nothing but anxiousness among the people. They're looking to to this one to lead and and his leadership just brings anxiety and trouble. And so they respond with anxiety and trouble when the report of the Magi should have been good news to them. It's the people of God, the Magi come and say, the king is here. The deliverer that has come, the, the words that the prophet spoke of now has come to pass. And what they should do is not look to the leader like Herod that is seeking to destroy them, that is loving what is evil and hating what is good. They must look to the shepherd king who loves them and brings peace, as the scripture says. If there's anxiety in your heart this morning, maybe it's because you're not looking to the king who brings peace for his people. Maybe you're looking to the world and this leadership thinking you don't know about tomorrow and there's so much uncertainty and I'm not sure about what's coming. But those who trust in Christ, the true king, the shepherd king, we can have confidence even when the world is crumbling. We can have confidence to know he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's in the field with us. He's guiding us and directing us. And he is passing through that valley of the shadow of death before we even have to go through ourselves. 
He's the good shepherd that makes us lie down in green pastures. He's the good one that protects us. And no anxiety amongst his people, but nothing but comfort and joy. Don't be anxious. Look to the proper king. But not only that, you see the response. The response of the wise men of Herod, the priests and the scribes, they respond with apathy. Surely there may be someone here who responds in anger to these new, this news, but maybe not. There may be some of you here who are responding to the news of Christ with anxiety, maybe. My greater fear is that there's some of you here that are responding to the news of Jesus with apathy. I mean, think about these scribes and these chief priests. The scribes were conservatives. They preserved tradition. These are political groups, if you will. The chief priests were the Sadducees. They were willing to accommodate Rome and give up whatever tradition they could give up so they could keep their power in position. So in other words, these two groups are at the opposite ends of the political spectrum in Jerusalem at this time. I don't want to make any jokes about our country or anything else right here, you see? But these two groups are at the opposite ends. They don't agree on anything. They're mad at each other constantly. They're fighting against each other in positions and places. They're doing whatever they can. They don't agree on anything. And here Herod comes and he says, do y'all know what they're talking about? And these two political parties that never agree with two different agendas and two different ideas say, oh yeah. Together they say, he'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll be born in Bethlehem. These two groups who never agree, agree on this. In other words, the scripture is clear. There's nothing to figure out. There's no ambiguity here. The scripture is clear. These two will be born in Bethlehem. They agreed, hard to believe, but Bethlehem is the place. But that's it. The chief priests and the scribes, they say, yes, Bethlehem. With confidence, it's Bethlehem. But that's it. In Matthew's gospel, there's nothing else. Nothing else is said in this text. Well, you'll get through and see that this Jesus is only going to be in opposition to those all the time. They agree that the Christ will be born in Bethlehem, but that's it. They could put their finger on the dot on a map where he would be born. They knew the passage that testified to where he would be born. They knew what the prophet said, and they understood that. They knew the text. They knew the prophets. They knew the maps. They knew everything. They even knew the timing. Yet they did not know the king to which this news had come about. In other words, they knew it all. They knew the theology. They knew the geography. They knew the scripture. And they didn't care. They didn't care. I find that to be quite interesting. To be a master of scriptural geography, of prophecy, theology, and yet to miss the very one that scripture proclaims and calls out. This is what I mean by apathy. Yeah, we know it. It says it's going to be in Bethlehem. It says it's going to be with a star. We, get to, we got all that down. We don't care. And my fear is that there may be some just like that here today. Surely we know Jesus is born. Surely we know he's in Bethlehem. Surely we know he came. Surely we know he died on the cross. Surely we know he reigns now. And we just don't care. God, may it never be. 
Now you know that the news of the coming of Christ is the greatest news we could ever possibly know because this one is our savior who saves us from our sins, what we could not do for ourselves. This one is God with us. He's never leaving us nor forsaken us. Come to bring peace in our life. This one is the king who reigns forever. This one is the shepherd who protects and provides and gives for his people. That is not news that you cannot care about. That is everything you've ever longed for. That's everything. Please don't be apathetic to the truth of God's word. Respond this morning like the Magi who didn't respond in anger or anxiety or even in apathy, but they adored him. The Magi hear what Herod says. In fact, it tells us when they had uh, gone and searched diligently as Herod tells them, that I too may come and worship him. In verse nine, it says, after listening to the king, they went on their way. They heard what Herod said, and they come. And as they begin on their way toward Bethlehem, it tells us that the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. What's the response when I say they adored him? First, they sought the truth. They sought the truth. They were not content on just simply seeing his star. They wanted to see him. The star was nothing more than a messenger. The star was nothing more than one who was saying, hey, he's here letting you know. They're not content on just simply seeing the star. They wanted to see the one that the star spoke to. It would be like the shepherds seeing the heavens open up with the praise of the angels saying, glory to God in the highest, he's born, and saying, that's enough. I don't need to see him. I just saw the show. When you realize that that's not the show itself, the one who has come, the main event, Christ Jesus, our Lord, is here. I'm not going to be content just by knowing this stuff about him. I want to know him and who he is. And they sought after him. Imagine the investigation from the moment that star rose. They sat down. They tried to figure out where is it from? Who is this to? What do we do? How do we get there? They found that passage in Numbers 24. They heard about Daniel and the wise men. They got all of that stuff and they said, you know what? This one who's come, his reign will be to the ends of the earth, as the scripture says. We better go worship him. So they got their envoy together. They packed up their camels. They got all their stuff together. They found the nicest of gifts they can find and they loaded up and they took off no matter how long it took, they were going to get there. So it is for some of us, maybe. The first time we heard of Christ, surely we thought, man, that can't be true. But the more we investigated and the more we found out and the more we looked into, the more we recognized this is the one who's come to save me. This is my salvation. And some of our journeys may have been like the wise men, but our journeys can never be completed until we get to Christ. You can't stop it halfway you got to find him. The wise men sought after him until they found him. Some of you may be on the journey today, and my prayer is that you find him today. He's not hiding from us in some house somewhere now in Bethlehem. He is ruling and reigning on the throne, and he has made himself known in the hearts and lives of all of his saints and all of his believers from here to the ends of the earth. But not only did they find him, seek him, they worshiped him. They bowed down and worshiped him. Now get this, it leads them into a house. They step into the house. They see Mary, Joseph, and they see a little child. Some may think it took them up to two years concerning how, how Herod handles the news he found out. 
So they see this little child here today. What I'm telling you, though, is I'm not calling you to worship a little child. That's not what we're doing here today because this little child grew up to be the sinless, spotless lamb of God, to die on the cross in our place, to be raised up again on the third day to ascend to the throne of God as King of kings and Lord of lords, the throne that is above every other throne. And this one is calling us to worship him because there is no other worthy of our worship. So as you seek him, may you find him. And when you find him, the only proper response is to worship him, to bow down for him. This is the shepherd king, the risen and reigning shepherd king who will protect you, provide for you, care for you in every way. This is him. This is the one. And he alone is worthy of our worship. If you look to Jesus, you will see him. He's not hiding. If you look to Christ, you will find him. If you truly see him, you will truly worship him. And here in this passage, even the nations come as the Magi come from the east because they heard that the king that was coming to Jerusalem will be the king who reigns over all the earth. So it is for us. They worshiped. But not only did they worship, they gave generously gifts as acts of devotion and worship. This is no cheap thing that they're doing. This is no casual event. They put two years into this to get to that king, to give him these gifts that they are given, this gold and frankincense and myrrh as it's given. We can give a whole sermon on what those are, but what we do know is these are precious, expensive gifts that they lay out their best for this child king. But what are we called to do? If we're going to worship him, then we also are called to give generously. No, casually, but generously, not just of our time, not just of our resources, not just of our finances, but of our life. As Romans 12 says, the true act of worship for those who follow Christ is to lay your own life on the altar before him, to give everything to him. He gave everything for us. We respond by giving all of us to him. And that's exactly what it means when we say we adore him. We seek out that truth, we find him, we worship him, and we give generously even of ourselves as an act of worship and devotion. But not only that, finally they obeyed him. They got word from Herod on what to do. After listening to the king, they went on their way. They heard from that king, here's what you are to do. Go find him, come back and tell me. But after they worshiped this one true king, Verse 12 says, they were warned in a dream by God himself not to return to Herod, and they departed and went by their own country another way. In other words, you got two options here. Which king will you follow? Which one will you pursue? And if you're truly adoring the one true king, having sought him and found him, having worshiped him and giving freely of yourself for him, then you too will obey him. We don't hear the voices of the leaders and kings of this world. We are the one who's a shepherd. And when that shepherd calls, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow. This is what true worship is. This is what the proper response looked like. And in some way, all of us in this room are responding to Jesus today, responding in some way, just like one of these. 
Some of you may be in anger. I'm tired of this. I wish you would quit talking. This is ridiculous nonsense. Some of you may be anxiety saying, I'm not sure. The world's telling me this, but, I, but, but, but is this, could, be, could this be true? Some of you may be in apathy thinking, yeah, I know all that stuff. It's no big deal. But by all means, by all means, if it's not out of adoration and worship for the true shepherd king that has come, then all of us must live in fear that we don't know him. But you can know him today. You can call on him and he's there. You can cry out to him and he hears you. He is truth. He is life. He is comfort. He is joy. And I pray just like these wise men who saw that star move and says, right here he is. That's exactly what you know today, that you too find Christ with exceedingly great joy. Adoration. Seek and find Worship and give. Trust and obey. Which of these responses are you today? Please, by all means, respond to Christ Jesus and the news of the coming shepherd king with worship and adoration. And there you find life and one who loves you more than you can ever know. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you have done. God, we thank you for Christ, our king. But God, I thank you that he's not like the kings of this world. Our king, Christ Jesus, our Lord, is a great shepherd to us. He loves us, he cares for us, he watches over us, he provides for us. So today, at this moment, Father, may we find Christ, every single one of us. Look to him, find him, and worship him. Give freely of ourselves and our life before him, for he is worthy of our worship. Obey him, Father. May we obey. And right now, you are calling and working on different people's hearts and lives even now. May they hear your call and may they obey. Father, thank you for Christ, for sending your shepherd king to us. And it's in his name that we pray and it's in his name that we worship you. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's stand together.